Shalom. Welcome to the New Millennium Edition of the Torah Teaching. This audio program is produced by Lion and Lamb Ministries and is presented by Mari Judah. We're coming toward now the end of the book of Deuteronomy. We're coming to the end of the teaching of the Torah. And we're also coming to the end of the life of the man Moses, the man of God. And in fact, these words, Vayelak, and he went, is making reference to the end of Moses' life. And he is now going to make his final declaration uh, to Israel with regard to all of the things that the life of Moses has been been used by God for to teach to them. Moses was the man that God chose to go before Pharaoh. Moses is the man that God chose to go before the elders of the sons of Israel to organize them and bring them out as slaves and to form them into a nation. Moses is the man whom God chose to give a pattern uh, after the things in heaven and instruct that others would make them, such as the tabernacle and the menorah and the golden altar and the Ark of the Covenant and all of these things which are the symbols of um, of our faith and the, the central teaching uh, of our faith, the foundational teaching of our faith comes from Moses. And Moses is now getting ready to go. And so when it says, and he went, but these are all the words which he said to all of Israel, uh, it is like his last and final declaration. In, in um, civil law, and in matters of uh, being very wise, we know, and this is generally accepted by all peoples around the world, that when a man comes to the end of his life, when there's nothing left and he knows it's the end of his life, sometimes the very words that he says will be the most intensive of all the words that he can share. Uh, it's a little bit like a, a light bulb. You know, sometimes a light bulb will shine just a little bit brighter just before it goes out. And in an effect... I view these passages now that follow, the words of Moses are like the intensive, bright light bulb just before it goes out. So we're going to get a lot of, of uh, energy uh, from Moses. We're going to get a lot of passion from him. Uh, and he's going to be speaking words that have great depth uh, to them. This particular Torah portion is one of the smallest, I believe it is the smallest one in the book of Deuteronomy. It's a single chapter, chapter 31. Let me read for you the uh, words. We're going to go to just read through the passage, and then we'll go back and re-examine it. So Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I am no longer able to come and to go. And the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross this Jordan. It is the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you, just as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them just as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. And the Lord will deliver them before you, and you shall do to them according to all the commandments which I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Then Moses called to Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall give it to them as an inheritance. And the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. So Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. Then Moses commanded them, saying, <clears throat> At the end of every seven years, at the time of the year of remission of debts, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place which he will choose, you shall read this law in front of all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people the men and the women and children and the alien who is in your town, in order that they may hear and learn and fear the Lord your God, and be careful to observe all the words of this law. And their children, who have not known, will hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, as long as you live on the land which you are about to cross to the Jordan to possess. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the time for you to die is near. Call Joshua, and present yourself at the tent of meeting, that I may commission him. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves at the tent of meeting. And the Lord appeared in the tent in a pillar of cloud, and the pillar of cloud stood at the doorway of the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers, and this people will arise and play the harlot with the strange gods of the land, into the midst of which they are going, and will forsake me and break my covenant, which I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they shall be consumed, and many evils and troubles shall come upon them, so that they may will say in, their, in that day, Is it not because our God is not among us that these evils have come upon us? But I will surely hide my face in that day because of all of the evil which they will do, for they will turn to other gods. Now therefore, write this song for yourselves, and teach it to the sons of Israel. Put it on their lips, in order that this song may be a witness for me against the sons of Israel. For when I bring them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and are satisfied and become prosperous, then they will turn to other gods and serve them and spurn me and break my covenant. Then it shall come about that when many evils and troubles have come upon them, that this song will testify before them as a witness, for it shall be not be forgotten from the lips of their descendants. But for I know their intent, which they are developing today, before I have brought them into the land which I swore. So Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the sons of Israel. And then he commissioned Joshua the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and courageous. For you shall bring the sons of Israel into the land which I swore to them, and I will be with you. And it came about when Moses finished writing the words of this law in a book until they were complete, that Moses commanded the Levites who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law and place it beside the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, that it may remain there as a witness against you. For I know your rebellion and your stubbornness. Behold, while I am still alive with you today, You've been rebellious against the Lord. How much more, then, after my death? Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers, that I may speak these words in their hearing, and call the heavens and the earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death you will act corruptly and turn from the way which I have commanded you, and evil will befall you in the latter days. For you will do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger, with the work of your hands. Then Moses spoke in the hearing of all of the assembly of Israel the words of this song until they were complete. Now what follows uh, thereafter in chapter 32 is a separate uh, Torah portion called Ha'azinu, which is um, the song of Moses. And there's and because the this is the introduction to the song of Moses, let me for just a moment kind of set up uh, the next Torah portion for you so that you'll get the context of this, because this is a huge preamble that leads into it. Moses is, uh, in the next portion, is going to write a song, the Song of Moses, that will be that is not for the people that live in that day. Clearly, the stage is now set that as the people cross over the River Jordan, he's really talking about what they're going to do in the future. After his death, this is what he knows Israel will do. He knows that Israel will disobey and and not believe the Lord. He knows that their descendants will run into trouble because of their disobey toward the Lord. And in, in fact, he specifically prophesies here that in the latter days of Israel, there will become a, a time of great trauma and judgment. And that Israel will act corruptly before the Lord in the last days. And so he's going to write this song as a witness against them. Now, in the next door portion, you will hear uh, where I teach that the, how this song is projected way into the future and includes the last generation of Israel before the Lord returns, before the final day of the Lord, judgment of God. Uh, so this is the stage being set toward that. Now let me go back and uh, let's review some of these passages um, so that we so that we can see how Moses is is bringing kind of tying the loose ends together of his life and uh, coming and completing his task of leading Israel in the days that he lived. 
his very first words is he says, I have, uh, he says, uh, verse 2, he says, and he said, and I am 120 years old today. I'm no longer able to come and go. Now, the scripture says that Moses' eye was not dim, uh, that nor was his hearing abated. But the fact was that at 120, he was no longer had the strength uh, to do, to fulfill the office of, of being Moses for the people. And I think the reason why Moses specifically mentions this age, because it goes back to one of the earliest teachings uh, in Genesis, uh, in which that God made a covenant with Noah. And if you'll turn just very briefly back to, I believe it's Genesis 5 or 6, I believe it right at the first part of Genesis 6, yes, uh, where he says in Genesis 6, 3, this is the Lord speaking through to Noah, then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he is also flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. That at the covenant with Noah, God made an agreement with man that says, I, I, I can't handle the flesh of a man, and I'm going to limit him to 120 days. Now, at the time that this was said to Noah, the average age of the patriarchs was 912 years. God was basically saying, I can't stand to have men live that long. You know, their their thoughts are evil continually, and it's just uh, more opportunity for sin. So he's going to put a limit on what a man's life will be. And a lot of people misinterpret this passage, and they think that this is the number of days that Noah had left uh, before, ju before God judged the world by water. But clearly the scripture says that Noah was told to build the ark when he was 500 years old, and the flood began when he was 600. There was a maximum of 100 years involved in the process of building the ark before the flood came. So this passage about the 120 years is more to do with the covenant that God made with mankind at the time of Noah to limit his years to 120, which brings us back to Deuteronomy chapter 31. There's a limit even to the years of the life of Moses, and his limit is 120 years, and he's saying that. Verse 2, he says, I am 120 years old today. I'm no longer able to do this, and God is no longer able to, to bear him. So the time has now come for a transition. The um, I would draw everyone's attention to one very interesting fact that may speak to the limit of what God is able to do. If you uh, take all the biblical years uh, that we have seen historically from the creation to our present, there's approximately 6,000 biblical years that have gone by. If you take the number of jubilees, which would be uh, you know, the, the total 50 periods, the total maximum for the life of the earth as we've seen it at the moment is 120 jubilees, uh, which means maybe God, even as he made this declaration to Noah, even as he limited the life of Moses, maybe God is getting ready to say, I've got a limit to this world in its present form. Uh, and and that he now needs to restore uh, the world. It may be that this 120 uh, also speaks to the limitations of what God is willing to do with this time of the ages. Uh, verse 3, it is the, the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you, just as the Lord has spoken. Um which brings us to a very interesting point. You would expect, I suppose, Moses to um, to remind the people that the Lord is the one who's going to lead you into the promised land. Uh, the, and I think the reason why that makes so much sense is not only is it consistent with the biblical theme and the teaching of Moses, but stop and think about this for a moment. The fact is God was leading the children of Israel down into Egypt, and he led them up out of Egypt. He led them in the wilderness. Why wouldn't he go ahead and continue to lead them in the land? God has been present there the whole time. Uh, when I, uh, in the earliest days of when I went into full-time ministry, I left my job career, I can remember sitting one morning and praying and having a time, some time with the Lord. And with now with the, with the loss of a steady income, you know, kind of laying my heart before the Lord and saying, well, Lord, um, you know, th uh, this this is where my heart is at. I said, I'm not concerned about me. The only thing I asked, Lord, is is that uh, I was concerned for my children. 
And I said, Lord, with the loss of income, that means that my children won't have uh, certain minimum things that I really wanted them to have, the, the necessary things that they need. And so I said, not for me, Lord, but for my children. And, and it's like at that moment, it's like the Lord kind of gave me kind of a gentle, you know, slap, uh, a, a gentle rebuke uh, of sort. And it was like, what am I doing? Uh, the Lord has been taking care of my kids the whole time when I had a career and when, and since they've been born, the Lord has been taking care of them. Why, why, of course, why shouldn't he uh, take care of my children now? Just because I'm wholly dependent upon the Lord uh, for an income and to be able to live. The Lord's been in the business taking care of them all along. A lot of times when people come and express concerns to me, well, you know, I'm not worried about me. I'm worried about other family members, so, you know, about them coming to know the Lord and so forth. I always remind them. I say, uh, you know, a fellow who came and asked for prayer for salvation, I, I reminded him, I said, let me make sure you understand something. I said, the Lord is way more interested in the salvation of that person than you are. Now, I appreciate the fact that you come in and you made the request, but let's make sure we understand something. The Lord's been in the business of trying to save that guy over there for thousands of years. Before the earth was created, he knew who this person was, and he before, before ordained that he was going to try to get him to repent, and he was going to try to provide salvation to him. And if he's the only guy over there that would have accepted it, he would still have done this. So the idea that all of a sudden we, we finally catch on to the will of God, and then suddenly this is, you know, we're the impetus behind something happening here, is really inappropriate and incorrect in our thinking. God is way more interested. Now, I think what Moses is doing here, he's not invoking and asking God to go before the people. He's trying to remind the people that God will go with you, that God is going to be there. And I think part of it has to do with it's building the case where Moses tried to show them the hand of the Lord to begin with. And he's trying to say the hand of the Lord will still be present uh, even when you cross over the Jordan. Whether I'm present or not, the Lord was still doing this. I mean, the Lord was looking out for you, Israel, before I was even born, Moses is saying. And therefore, it will follow that God will continue to look after you, Israel, even after I am gone. And uh, so it says, he, uh, verse 4, And the Lord will do to them just as he did to Sion and Og. In other words, he's laying the case. Look, look, look what God did before in the past. He's going to continue to do that. And the Lord will deliver them up before you, and you shall do them according to all the commandments which I have commanded you. So he says, be strong, courageous, do not be afraid or tremble at them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. Not me, but him. And he will not fail you or forsake you. In other words, stick to the Lord. You know, he sticks closer than a brother. I, Moses, I come to the end of my days. Joshua, even he will come to the end of his days. However, the Lord will stick with you all the time. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to your fathers to give them, and you shall give it to them as an inheritance. In other words, you, Joshua, go in, do your thing, do your part, as the Lord has appointed you. Another point that we could bring out here is that there was a transference of authority and power between Moses clearly to Joshua. In other words, God and Moses are clearly saying Israel is still to be very closely knit together, that there is a replacement leader. Um, if an organization has a transference of leadership, if the organization is going to stay intact, then, then everyone has to see uh, the new leader appointed by the former leader. If you don't, then you're going to go into a squabble, you're going to go into confusion, and people, and then the co competing leaders will have to emerge, and one will have to champion over the others. Otherwise, the organization will be split, many fragmented, and division will come in. Moses does a good job of transferring leadership. He had learned the principle of delegation, and he had learned that he had to pass down uh, his leadership to another if he was going to keep all Israel together. The uh, verse 9, so Moses uh, wrote this law, gave it to the priests and the sons of Levi who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Take note of uh, who he gave the law, the teaching to. Uh, he didn't give it to the tribe of Judah, uh, where the kings would be coming from. 
uh, he gave it to the Levites, who were then charged with the uh, religious instruction. They were charged with the duty of maintaining it. So many scribes came forth from the Levites. The priests came forth from the sons of Aaron, of the Levites. And they were the ones who were given charge of that responsibility uh, for it. Verse 10, Then Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the time of the year of the remission of debts, at the Feast of Booths. And this passage, um, uh, for those of you who didn't necessarily or aren't, aren't planning on keeping the fall holidays, this passage always brings us to the fall holidays, to the time of Rosh Hashanah, Feast of Trumpets, to the time of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, to the uh, Feast of Eight Days of the Feast of Booze, the Feast of Tabernacles. All of these feasts occur in the Hebrew month Tishri. Uh, on the first of Tishri is Trumpets, on the 10th is Yom Kippur, and beginning on the 15th and going for eight days is the Feast of Booze. Um, the very next portion, Ha'azinu, is always read between and taught between the Feast of, of Trumpets and Yom Kippur. And so this is the portion that is setting up uh, for the fall holidays. The, it's the portion, the last portion of the end of the year. Um, and it's the portion that was the end of Moses' life. So there's a little theme and connection to it. More specifically, Moses is giving instruction now to say, I want you to read this law every seven years on the sabbatical year, every seven years, to all of Israel. And read it during the Feast of Booze. Verse 11, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God, at the place which he will choose, you shall read this law in front of all of Israel in their hearing. In the place that he will choose ultimately became Jerusalem. When David was given the task to, uh, to set up the permanent altar uh, in the uh, threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, which is the temple mount in Jerusalem, that became the place that God chose, Jerusalem. Uh, to put his name, and that's the place for the reading of this. Now, if you would, I want to show you a place uh, later on in the history of Israel where these events, in fact, did transpire. After, um, um, the, um, after the captivity of Judah, uh, the, which is the southern kingdom, when they had refused to keep the sabbatical year, God, through Moses in, in Leviticus, had prophesied that if they failed to keep the uh, sabbatical year, that God uh, would cast them out of the land into the hands of their enemies. And they would remain in the lands of their enemies until such time as the land was given its full rest. Jeremiah prophesied that for Judah, that they would go into the Babylonian captivity for 70 years, because they had been in the land for 490 years, and they had never kept the sabbatical year. So there were 70 sabbatical years which had not been observed. He cast them into the land. They served the enemies for 70 years, and then we had the prophet Daniel, and there was the return of the remnant of Judah back to the land. And we come to the lives of Ezra, the high priest, and Nehemiah, who was the governor. Uh, who had been appointed by King Artaxerxes. Nehemiah was the guy who rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem and helped to reestablish the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. Let me take you to uh, the um, passage here in Nehemiah chapter 8 where the Feast of Booze was restored and the reading of the law was given, this commandment of Moses. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 1 and all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. The first day of the seventh month is the Feast of Trumpets. It is um, uh, the first of Tishri. And he read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on the wooden podium, which they had made for this purpose, and beside him stood, uh, and it lists off a series of names there, of men on his left and on his right, uh, 
And uh, uh, I want you to note of just a couple of those names that are there. Uh, Zechariah, you know, who was on his uh, on his right, and Ezra, uh, the prophet Zechariah, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all of the people, for he was standing above all the people when he opened it up, and all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, uh, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And also Yeshua, and it lists off a series of other men who uh, of the Levi and the Levites explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. And they read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. So we had a big Torah teaching here, and uh, they were teaching all of the Torah. Verse 9, then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. And the day that they're referring to is the Feast of Trumpets. It's a day of rejoicing, not a day to weep and mourn. And so they began to give instruction upon that particular day, that holiday. Then he said to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our God. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival, because they understood the words uh, which they had which had had been made known to them. Then on the second day, the heads of the fathers of the households of all the people, the priests and the Levites, were gathered to Ezra the scribe, that they might gain insight into the words of the law. And they found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. So they proclaimed and circulated a proclamation in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out into the hills and bring olive branches and wild olive branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of other leafy trees to make booths that is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and the courts of the house of the Lord of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And the entire assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and lived them. And the sons of Israel had indeed not done so from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day. And it was great rejoicing. And he read from the book of the law of God daily from the first day to the last. And they celebrated the feast of seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the ordinance. Take note of the fact that 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 when they crossed over the River Jordan, they never kept these holidays. They never kept the Feast of Trumpets. They never kept uh, Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, until in these days. Now, had they observed those feasts, had they learned and heard the teaching of the law, uh, the following things would have happened. Uh, verse 12, uh, back in Deuteronomy 31, Assemble the people and the men and the women and the children and the alien who is in your town, in order that they may hear and learn and fear the Lord your God and be careful to observe all the words of this law. And, the, and their children, who have not known, will hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live on the land which you're about to cross over the Jordan to possess. Had they, in fact, obeyed Moses, had they, in fact, kept these feasts and festivals, which they did not do, had they done it, they probably would not have gone into captivity to Judah. But there's a sense of inevitability that was known at that point. Moses himself makes comment to, I know, I know this people. They're rebellious. After my death, they will go in and act corruptly in the land. They won't obey me. They won't obey the Lord. They will act corruptly toward God. And so he had prophesied as to what would happen to them. And they fulfilled it. Now, it doesn't. the story doesn't end there with Moses to Nehemiah. The fact of the matter is this pattern in this story continues on. And Moses speaks all the way to the last generation in the Song of Moses because he knows that even though there'll be a, a repentance, even though there'll be a revival, even though there'll be a return to the land, they'll still get kicked out again. And ultimately, Moses said, it would come to the point where that they would be kicked completely out of the land of Israel and scattered into all the nations. And that is what we have seen. 
Uh, we saw the events historically leading up to the time of Nehemiah, but in Nehemiah's day, he saw men bringing the harvest in on the sabbatical year, and he said, what have you done? You know, God put a curse upon us and cast us into the hand of our enemies for not keeping the sabbatical year. Now that you've done it again, the Lord said further that if we had disobeyed again, that he would bring upon us seven times the punishment and to the scattering to all nations. And in fact, Israel has been scattered to all the nations as a result. Only now in these days do we begin to see the return uh, of the diaspora from all of the nations of the earth back to the land again, which brings us to that we know that this will be the end of the ages, the calamity. This is the whole plan of God that has been given to us by the prophet Moses and by the prophets of Israel uh, throughout time. The uh, uh, Which kind of brings us to a point, in these last days, one of the keys to us obeying the Lord is to do that which my ancestors, the, my fathers from Israel, failed to get. And, and I tell people repeatedly if they, when I go out to share, if there's one thing I would like to ask of all of you, brethren, and that is to learn the mistakes, learn from the mistakes that were made by my ancestors. Don't let their lives go in vain. They did it the wrong way. You learn from their mistakes and you do the right thing. And so one of the things that is emerging in these last days amongst many groups that I find and I get an opportunity to speak with is this new desire to understand, to teach, and to observe the holidays that are given, the biblical holidays that are given by Moses. And to the extent, um, uh, and this year we ourselves are planning uh, with our congregation to literally go out and to observe the Feast of Tabernacles, not just set up a hut and, and a sukkah up in the backyard again, but to actually go and live in a tent, to live in a tabernacle, and to assemble out away from our homes. Um, and the idea is to observe this commandment. And I believe that in so doing, in keeping the commandments, truly keeping the commandments of the holidays, and that the words uh, here will do exactly as Moses said that they would do, in that uh, we would hear, we would learn, and we would fear the Lord. And that that combination of hearing, learning, and fearing the Lord will stir us and move us forward in our spiritual life and walk to obey the Lord in other areas as well, to understand the things that God is doing. Um, I'm looking forward to the Feast of Tabernacles this year because I really believe that people will get the connection. They'll see a prophetic picture emerging that we, the Tribulation Saints, we will have to live in temporary structures for a while like our ancestors did in the wilderness. And I am hoping that as we learn the words of Moses, that the Lord did go forward with them into the great and terrible wilderness, that the Lord will go forward with us into the great and terrible tribulation, that when it says that God would neither leave them nor forsake them, that we would believe the Lord, that he would neither leave us nor forsake us in the time known as the great tribulation. So I think that there's tremendous application and tremendous wisdom uh, to be gained by following the simple words of Moses here and to learn this. I would remind you also with regard to us as the, as the last generation that it is God's intention that we celebrate the Feast of Booze as the first event of the Millennial Kingdom. And there's a lot of reasons for that uh, because of what the Feast of Booze means. I believe the Feast of Booze uh, represents the, the, the wedding of the Lamb. Uh, the setting up of the hoopah, uh, and uh, the ceremony associated with the marriage of the bride and the bridegroom. But the booths also is a reminder of people in the past and, and our future. Um, the booth is a temporary structure. It's like our corruptible body at the moment. You know, when we're young, we're like a new tent where the stakes are set strong, the ropes are taunt, uh, the tent looks sharp, but a tent doesn't last very long. Uh, in that state. In fact, in the course of seven days, a sukkah, a temporary structure set up, begins to droop heavily by the end of the seventh day. 
and uh, remind people that it's just like us. Uh, when we're young, we're we're taunt and and sharp and look good, but as time goes on, as our lives are completed, what gravity takes effect of us, and we begin to droop and look like a droopy-looking tent. Um, you know, as a result, um, the Feast of Booze symbolizes all of the temporary nature of our present state and the future that we look forward to in the Lord. Now, Moses uses that setting to say in the same way that we need to be renewed with the Word of God, that it's in the reading and the hearing and the understanding of the Word of God that uh, uh, that we are moved to live this life. Uh, in fact, one of the teachings that I give in the Feast of Booze is from Isaiah, uh, I believe Isaiah 54, where he uses the example of the tent. And he says, uh, stretch out your stakes, uh, you know, stretch it out, make it taunt again, uh, strengthen it, it uh, that it may remain. And in a way, to me, the reading of the law, the reading of the teaching of Moses and the review of it is is driving the stake in deeper. It's stretching the rope on the tent out straighter. It's bringing things, straightening up our temporary nature uh, so that we might be able to press on and pursue. Now, back to Deuteronomy 31, um, look with me now at uh, verse 14. Uh, and the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the time for you to die is near. Call Joshua and present yourselves at the tent of meeting that I may commission him. So now the Lord has spoken to the Lord and he said, Okay, the time for you is over with Moses. Let's bring Joshua in. Let's get him going. And he gives a specific uh, instruction to Moses wherein he says that, uh, behold, you're about to uh, lie down uh, with your fathers, and then we're going to press on. I, I would like to go back to a previous point uh, that I just got through making. Um, and so if you'll excuse me this once, I need to go back and give one other different passage to reinforce what we just said. Uh, as I mentioned to you about Nehemiah and the things that he did and Ezra and the things they did, and the, the exhortation that's given there is for them to be strong and so forth, I want to, uh, and I mentioned to you that Zechariah was present, I want to give you a short uh, a number of words from Zechariah that ties into that as well. So if you'll allow me to go back to my previous point uh, for just a moment, because I, I wanted to for sure share this. Zechariah was standing there with Ezra when they had the reading of the law and the establishment uh, of the people again. And, uh, and Zechariah makes reference to this whole period of time uh, in Zechariah chapter 9, or excuse me, chapter 8, beginning at verse 9. Let me read for you how Zechariah uh, responds to all of these things that took place. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Let your hands be strong, you who are listening in these days to these words from the mouth of the prophets. Those who spoke in the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid to the end that the temple might be built. And that was one of the things that was going on at that time. They were getting ready to reconstruct the temple. For before those days there was no wage for man or for wage for animal. And for him who went out or came in, there was no peace because of his enemies. And I set all men one against another. But now I will not treat the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts, for there will be peace for the seed, and the vine will yield its fruit, the land will yield its produce, and the heavens will give their due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to inherit all these things, and it will come about that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you that you may become a blessing. Do not fear. Let your hands be strong. For thus says the Lord of hosts, just as I purpose to do harm to you when your fathers provoke me to wrath, says the Lord of hosts, and I have not relented. So I have again purposed in these days to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Israel. Do not fear. These are the things which you should do. Speak the truth to one another. Judge with truth and judgment for peace in your gates. And let none of you devise evil in your heart against another. Do not love perjury, for all these things are which that which I hate, declares the Lord. Now, Zechariah in his day specifically was prophesying and he was saying that the Lord wants to renew again uh, to Israel and reestablish re them. But we know that Israel misbehaved again and was ultimately cast into the nations. Uh, first the house of Israel, the Assyrians, and then later on 
even Judah in AD 70 was cast into all of the nations. So, um, which brings us to a point, there's still yet a future fulfillment in the words of Zechariah still appropriate for us in our generation. God has not relented. He has cast us into the nations. He has, we were provoked him to anger. Let us now return to the Lord. And at the final days of the ages with Israel, this same call from the prophet is still applicable to us today. Let us return to the Lord. And he gives us very specific exhortation as to the things that we should do. Do not love perjury, speak the truth, judge with truth, and judgment for peace in all of your gates. Uh, that this should be the watchword of it. And to let our hands be strong. Be strong and courageous. These were the words of Moses to Joshua. Joshua, be strong and courageous. Go and serve the Lord. And so it should be the words for us today as well. Be strong and courageous. Obey the Lord. So having uh, granted me the opportunity to show how Zechariah the prophet also ties into this, um, we'll close off that final point. Now the Lord has said to Moses, uh, the end of your days has come, and um, uh, you're getting ready to go to be with your fathers. In verse, um, uh, verse 17 of Deuteronomy 31, the Lord says, Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they shall be consumed, and many evils and troubles shall come upon them, so that they will say in that day, it is, is, is it not because our God is not among us that these evils have come upon us? Verse 18, But I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they do, for they will turn to other gods. Now, we just heard the words, the promise Moses giving to him that God would neither forsake them uh, nor break the covenant or, or um, you know, cast them off. And this is a huge theological issue that does exist in our day. Did God, when the children of Israel left the land of Israel, specifically Judah, in A.D. 70, did God um, forsake the children of Israel and break the covenant? And there's some wording here that seems to say that God is going to turn right around where he wasn't going to forsake them, that he would forsake them, he said he would not forget them, that he would forget them, and that he would, and that that God's presence would not be with them. Uh, the wording is said that way, uh, but the reality is is something other than that. And it's not so much that the Lord is misrepresenting here. It's a case of he's trying to show the severity of this great trauma that will come upon Israel. I want you to particularly note again. Um, the question that would be posed uh, there in verse 17, so that they will say in that day, is it not because our God is not among us that these evils have come upon us? But I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they will do, for they will turn to other gods. I want you to, uh, in this day and age, I want us to look back to the events of the previous generation. We had an event called the Holocaust. In the Holocaust, there were many, many Jewish people, people of Israel, who were taken to their deaths. And one of the fundamental questions, and one of the things that still disturbs uh, those survivors of it, and one of the things that was their great question at that time of the Holocaust was, where was God when the Jewish people were being taken into the gas chambers? And there are many... Um, uh, Jewish people from the Holocaust who are who do, do not come to terms well uh, with their faith in the God of Israel as a result of that experience. In fact, some of the conversations I've had with them have been such that, you know, I guess God wasn't real. There really wasn't a God of Israel. Where was God when we needed him in the gas chambers? And in the Holocaust, and I, that's what I see uh, Moses's prophecy here is it is it not because our God is not among us that these evils have come upon us those are that's the very question of many Holocaust survivors and many people who died in the Holocaust where was God um, I heard the question posed many years ago when um, some um, 
believers, uh, believing uh, Jews, began to share their faith with some Holocaust survivors. And I remember uh, very poignantly one of the questions being asked by um, the survivors. Where was Yeshua, where was Jesus um, when the Jewish people were dying in the gas chambers? In other words, the inference being that if he's really God, he's really the Messiah, how come he didn't save us? Um, I, I tell people sometimes the answer that was given at that point, and the answer is, is that Yeshua was right there in the gas chamber weeping. He was there, uh, and he would have preferred this was not happening. But the fact is, and this is very difficult for Jewish people to deal with, Moses prophesied about the Holocaust. Moses told us that if we would not obey the Lord, that we would be scattered into the hands of our enemies and that great and terrible things would happen to us. In fact, this in this very portion, it says that it would become so terrible that it would appear to us and we would ask this question, where are you, Lord? Where are you at? Because it will be clear that the Lord will hide his face in that day and allow this evil to come upon them because they have turned to other gods. Now that's hard. Uh, let me just tell you that, that I can understand how a Holocaust survivor would, would have great difficulty with that. In fact, I believe deep down in the heart of, of every one of the Jewish people who live today in this generation, even those who did not, were not alive during the Holocaust, I believe that every Jewish person in the world has to be reconciled to the Holocaust. And by that I mean they have to come to terms with what is the Holocaust, why, why did it happen, how could we prevent it in the future. And I am hopeful, and I pray very sincerely because it's based on what Moses said, that the thing that we will come away from the Holocaust experience is the following, that God's judgments are very severe. And as long as we walk out from under the protection of the Lord, we are subject to the enemy, and that the enemy has every intent to kill every one of us. And that if we are going to choose life, uh, then we're going to have to choose the Lord. And when we choose the Lord, then we have to choose to obey him. If we can't call him Lord if we don't do what he says. And that if we, if we go and we try to claim the God of Israel, but we don't obey him, that we're just fooling ourselves. Uh, that the Lord's protection and he becomes a refuge and a rock for us when we cling to him. Now the Torah tells us that we teach you from the Torah to love the Lord, to obey the Lord, and to cling to the Lord. And unless you get to that last part, you're not really getting the full benefit uh, of what the Lord has to offer. A lot of people, they'd like to love God and they'd like to have his benefits, but they're not willing to obey. They're never going to get to the cling part. And in the time of a holocaust, in the time of a great tribulation, you must cling to the Lord. You must hold to him so that he can offer refuge and protection uh, against the things that are happening. And we have seen that if you do not obey the Lord, and if you do not cling to the Lord, then this is what the enemy uh, is willing to do and is capable of doing. I think that the Holocaust is a great training lesson uh, that we in this generation should pay attention to, because the Great Tribulation is clearly defined as a time of distress greater than any other previous day. And I remind people, greater than the Holocaust? Yes. The Holocaust is just a warm-up, um, you know, for what is intended. Uh, actually, the Holocaust was simply the completion of a whole series of persecutions and pogroms and oppressions that have come upon the people of Israel as they've been scattered throughout all of the nations. And the Holocaust was finally a, a very intensive period of the death of many uh, Jewish people. I would expect that the enemy will come with the intent to destroy many believers uh, in him in the last of the days. <clears throat> in, verse, um, in verse 19, he says, Now therefore write this song for yourselves and teach it to the sons of Israel. Put it on their lips in order that they may be a song, be a witness for me against the sons of Israel. This song, had we paid attention to it, could have maybe stirred us back uh, to the Lord. 
in particular, when we next week's portion, when we covered the Song of Moses, you will find there's a very direct reference between the Song of Moses and the book of Revelation dealing with the Great Tribulation. So Moses is definitely projecting forward to future descendants uh, and with a, with a great message of warning to us. Uh, I, for me to hear a person say that the Torah is no longer applicable, is it's to me, uh, they have demonstrated to me that they are spiritually and biblically totally ignorant of what God's plan is over the ages. Because of the failure to keep these words is why all such great harm has come upon the people of God. And it will be just as applicable for the new covenant believer. If we fail to not learn this lesson, then in the great tribulation we will reap the whirlwind because we fail to understand the instruction of Moses. And I believe that unless you understand the song of Moses in the great tribulation, you will reap the whirlwind of the, of the, uh, of the enemy. Uh, as a result, <clears throat> verse um, verse 20, For when I bring them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and are satisfied and become prosperous, then they will return to other gods and serve them, spurn me, break my covenant. While this was the case of the nation of Israel, they did these things. I also submit to you that it is the case of any believing nation in these last days. America has been known as being a believing nation. And we have uh, been wrought into a wonderful land, and we have eaten, we have been satisfied, we've become prosperous, and we have turned to other gods, and we serve them, and we have spurned the Lord, and we have broken even the new covenant with him. So you can expect what will happen, if it happened to Israel before in the past, it will happen to any nation who follows the same pattern. And this country has not learned the lesson from the Torah with regard to this. Verse 21, then it shall come about that when many evils and troubles have come upon them, that this song will testify before them as a witness, for it shall not be forgotten from the lips of their descendants. Note the future implication. Uh, the future implication, this song is for their descendants, not just the people who crossed over the Jordan, but for the descendants upon them and afterwards, all the way to the end of the age. So Moses wrote the song the same day and taught it to the sons of Israel. Then he commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, and he said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the sons of Israel into the land, which I have, and I will be with you. And the Lord, he's making reference, will be with him. came about that when Moses finished the writing of the words of the law of this book, as they were complete, that Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law, place it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God there, it remain as a witness against you. Isn't that interesting that the Torah is a witness against any people who will not obey the Lord? Now, in times past, I've tried to teach you that where are the commandments of God? The commandments of God are in the Torah, in the first five books. The commandments of God are not in the book of Psalms. They're not in the history of Israel and the kings. The commandments of God are not in the words of the prophets. The prophets talk about them. They're not in the Gospels. They're not in the letters to Paul. They're not in the book of Revelation. The commandments of God that Yeshua was referring to, if you love me, keep my commandments, are back in the Torah. And if you won't obey the Lord, then this Torah sits beside the Ark of the Covenant and is a witness against you. And here it is. It's even prophetically saying that, that the Torah will stand against when men will come to have it and give an account of their lives um, to Yeshua, believers, when, 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 he, when we're there in the kingdom with him and we have to give an account for it, one of the things he's going to do is he's going to match our deeds against the commandments of God. He's going to match our teaching against what the Torah said. And if you recall in Matthew 5, and beginning at verse 17, why the Messiah says, don't think that I came to do away with this. I didn't. Came to fill it up full of meaning. And then he says further, there will be a judgment. If any man teaches another so as to annul the least of these commandments, he shall be least in the kingdom of heaven. But if any man teaches another and keeps these commandments, he shall be great in the kingdom of heaven. There, the Torah sets as a witness. And it will determine not necessarily who goes into the heaven 
uh, heavenly reign and who, who does not, but rather it determines and it is a witness of those who are least and those who are great in the kingdom of heaven. And the difference between the least and the great in the kingdom of heaven is what did you do with the Torah? What did you do with the commandments of God? I know a lot of religious men love the Lord. They won't obey the Lord. They won't obey. They won't teach the commandments of God. They won't believe in the commandments of God. And, they, and, and as a result, they're going to be least in the kingdom of heaven. I'm not saying they won't make it. But I'm saying, according to the words of Yeshua, they'll be least in the kingdom of heaven. And so Moses, at the end of his life, he's giving this, this dying declaration. He's giving you the most important words he can give you. He's giving you that bright light bulb, which is the part you need to pay attention to. And he says the Torah stands as a witness against the people. Verse 27, For I know your rebellion and your stubbornness. Behold, while I am still with you today, you have been rebellious against the Lord, and how much more than after my death? And he says unto them, Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers, that I may speak these words in their hearing, and call the heavens and the earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death you will act corruptly and turn from the way which I have commanded you, and evil will befall you in the latter days. A reference to the great tribulation that is coming. A reference to the Holocaust that has already come. For you will do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger with the work of your hands. Now I would hope, if, since we are the last generation, that we can look back and we can see the whole plan of God played out. We can see what God has done with the nation of Israel. We can see the words of Moses and we can see how that they were true. I would hope that we would be a people who would be moved since we have the knowledge of these things and we have the understanding of these things, that we would be moved to obey the Lord, that we would be moved to hear, to learn, and to fear the Lord, and that as a result, we would make a choice for life, and we would choose first the blessing instead of the curse that is written in the book, and that these words that we read here of a future descendants and future generations would be the words of those that we have learned from rather than us have to learn the lesson again for some future group to finally get it. I would hope that we would be the people of faith who would finally come to the completion and that we would finally fulfill the call that God put upon Israel to be a light to all the nations, that we would be the people of faith so that when the Messiah comes back and he says, will I find faith, that we would send and answer even as Abraham answered, here I am, Lord. There are people here who have faith. That's part of what I see Moses is really trying to do here. By telling the truth, he's trying to provoke that final generation to obey. This is what's going to happen to you. It's the same way a father would tell a son. Son, if you continue to disobey, this is what's going to happen to you. And it's right there in front. You can see it. It's happened. You know, hopefully you would choose the other way. Hopefully you would go uh, and choose the way of life and the blessing. Uh, so I see that as what is being challenged, we're being challenged with in these days by the teaching of Moses. If you would, uh, let's pray and we'll close off our study. Father, we thank you for the life of Moses. We thank you, Lord, for his teaching. We thank you, Lord, that you inspired him, that you filled him with truth. Truth that we know, Lord, is for our benefit, for our blessing. And, Lord, even as he has laid down this declaration and he's tried to forewarn us, Lord, cause us to be a people who would be filled with understanding of these words, even as those who would hear the words of the law that we would understand. Lord, that it would cause us to fear uh, the, you, that we would choose your way instead of uh, stumbling blindly and ignorantly uh, into the difficult times. So, Lord, we thank you for the Torah. We thank you for this teaching. We thank you for the life of Moses. We thank you especially for Yeshua, providing the redemption for us so that we might have eternal life. And, Lord, I would pray that those that might hear this tape in the future that it would stir them, Lord, to in the time of the great tribulation to turn again to you and to trust and look only for you, knowing that you have gone also into those days and that you have not forsaken us, 
you have not left us behind, but that you're coming to save us. So we thank you for all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. For more information about Lion and Lamb Ministries, call our office at 405-447-4429. Our address is Post Office Box 720-968, Norman, Oklahoma, 73070. Our web address is net. Thank you.